right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn and Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. And on today's edition of the show, we're going to be joined by Jesse Newell at 335. Talk a little Chiefs offseason. We'll get into the transfer portal in the 4 o'clock hour. KU news and stuff all throughout the show as well as throughout the college basketball landscape. Do another RCST trivia registration at the end of the 4 o'clock hour. Lie detector test, some uh, KU track and field audio. This is my last show for the week. I will be out tomorrow, though there will be a couple segments in there uh, with me on them. Because I'm going to be out at the uh, KU Relays. I'm going to be doing some PA work for them as I've done for a lot of the past uh, Key Relays. This is the first time it's been back in a few years, so excited for that. So Nick will have you mostly on tomorrow's show. Uh, but right off the bat here, I'm going to ask a very simple question, and we can talk through this and talk okay. about it, why we think it is or is not a big deal. You can go whichever way you want. I love simple questions that turn into complex <laughs> answers. My favorite kind of question. Uh, the, the quick summarization of our show right there. <laughs> How much could the NCAA stuff with the IRP still a ruling has not come down? How much could that be having an effect on the portal right now? Basically, a short-term question to why does Kansas not have any commits yet? <laughs> That's interesting, the idea that the, the NCAA stuff. The thing about it is, like, if this were 12 months ago, I think you could maybe make more of an argument that maybe that was affecting it. But I feel like nobody cares anymore, right? Like, the NCA is toothless. The IARP is going to be dissolved, right? So, like, they're, whatever they rule doesn't even matter. KU has already announced all of their self-imposed sections that they're doing themselves anyways, which is probably going to be just as bad, if not, and maybe even a little worse than what the IARP might even be recommending. So, I, I, I just don't think anybody cares. And I don't, I mean, in the era of, like, NIL and, you know, trying to get to the NBA and whatnot for players, like, yeah, I guess like a, if a postseason ban is really like on the table, that might scare off some guys. But I, I just <clears throat> a, I don't think that's on the table. At least it's nothing. There's been nothing that has been said or anything like that to indicate that that's even remotely a possibility. And B, I just I don't really know that it would really hinder guys that much, right? Like if, like if you're coming to Kansas and you're a really talented player, you're coming to KU with the idea of developing and trying to extend that into your pro career you're not coming to KU just so you can try to win a national championship even though that's like the program standards the individual players necessarily I mean obviously that's like a short-term goal I guess but like you know what I mean like yeah their long-term goal is to maximize their NBA potential exactly so like I just and with NIL and stuff I I I would find it very hard to believe that that is anything that's even on the minds of most guys that are in the portal just because even though like it officially hasn't been there hasn't been a ruling it feels like it everybody's pretty much agreed okay whatever like it's not that big of a deal so i just think that that probably 
I just don't think it probably has that much of a factor. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I don't think it is very much. Um, now, could I see certain coaches? Yeah, I mean, there like, could be some negative recruiting against, right, against Kansas. Right, like the Scott Drews of the world who are going to go out there and want to negatively recruit KU. <laughs> I love every time you bring up Scott Drews. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they're, they're going to bring this up. This is going to be one of the things where they're like, well, you don't know. They're still in the NCAA IRP case. Are you sure they're going to be in the tournament next year? I think that's probably pretty easily cleared up when Bill Self and the staff talks to them and is like, hey, we took punishments self-imposed last year. We feel pretty good that we're not going to have anything like that coming whenever this ruling does come out. If it does come out this year, which feels like would be the timeline for it to come out, although I guess it's taken this long. Why not longer <laughs> at this point? Um, so, no, I, I don't think it has much of an effect. So if that's not the effect, next question then. Okay. Could Bill Self's health be... Uh, being used against in coaching circles. Now, now we saw Bill Self at the presser, yep. or whatever that was, a week ago. Feels like a year ago at this point. Um, and he looked healthy, sounded healthy, all that stuff. That's probably being used against them, too, in negative uh, recruiting circles. But again, I feel like the same thing. Like, that's easily just dispelled with a quick conversation. Yes, exactly. Like, Bill Self, clearly, he's indicated in his press conference, hey, I have no restrictions on what I can do, if I need to travel, this, that, or the other, whatever, right? And the other thing is, like, yes, your head coach is important in recruiting, but it's it's a staff operation, right? So it's not like it's it's not like not having Bill Self. Yeah, you you get some negative recruiting from it, but it's not like that completely destroys your entire recruiting operation because it's it's really more of a staff situation. Obviously, Bill Self is he's the head coach, he's your closer, he's you know the guy that's going to make the big the big decisions. But yeah, I think it's it's easily debunked. Anybody who listened to or even watched the press conference with Bill Self would see this is a guy that looks like he is feeling a lot better, looks healthy, and everything he said would indicate that he is in it for a while, right? I think the other aspect of the negative recruiting maybe you could get into is like maybe before that you could say, oh, well, you know, if, if you're going to go, if you want to be a developmental guy or whatever and you want to go to a program for a couple of years, is Bill Self really going to be the coach for the next couple of years, right? But like it's out now – it sounds like he will be. Mm -hmm. So even that is kind of debunked also. Yeah. Okay. So if neither of those are the answer, yes. why does KU not have any transfer commits yet? Okay. What is going on? Does... All these targets are falling off the board. Oh, no. Peril. Okay. It does seem like a lot of KU fans are maybe getting getting their underwear scrunched up a little bit because <laughs> they're, they're concerned. They're seeing these guys go off the board. Oh, no. Well, let's put some perspective on this. Over 1,300 players have entered the transfer portal. About 250 have actually committed. Mm. Okay? So you've still got, still over a thousand you've got a people. thousand dudes just floating about out there in the ether, just just doing that right in the transfer portal. Also, the window for guys to enter the portal is still open. And, in fact, it will be open for another, like, three weeks. So there are dudes... That you don't even know about, no, and maybe nobody even knows about. That could be going into the portal or whatnot. Okay, so you got a thousand guys, Derek. How many scholarships does KU have? Less than a thousand. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so you weren't gonna get every guy anyways. Yeah. So why are you freaking out about other guys going other places? I I, I don't understand. And everything. Everything that have that has been reported that we've heard from Bill Self about, I think Bill Self is being more particular this year maybe than he has been in the past in the portal, right? Once impact guys. 
yes, wants high-impact guys. You know, that's why you're seeing KU linked to the Hunter Dickinsons of the world because he's literally like the number one guy in the portal. The Harrison Ingrams of the world, a top five guy in the portal. The Nick Timberlakes of the, of the world, arguably the best shooter in the portal, right? Like, it's clear that KU and Bill Self has a strategy, and that strategy is we want, we need high-impact guys, okay? And guys that we know are going to fit our system. And when you literally have three, maybe four scholarships, or maybe even two, in the event that Kevin McCuller maybe comes back, you know, you want to make sure you're hitting home runs with those picks, okay? Yeah. With those guys. So, to me, I think this is pretty smart from KU, right? The, I think the last thing you want to do if you're KU is, is look at other guys starting to commit and saying, oh my gosh, we got we to gotta get somebody, right? Like, we need to... And you just go out and, and you quickly say, hey, we'll take whoever, this guy, whatever, boom. Just just to say we have somebody. You do not want to do that right now if you're KU, right? And we've had people on the show, even Matt Tata said, you know, KU could pick up the phone and call just about any recruit in the portal and they would instantly have interest, okay? So there's no reason to be concerned that KU hasn't gotten anybody yet. It's clear that they are doing their due diligence. They are being patient, they may know about guys in the portal that aren't even in it yet that nobody else knows about. So I, I, I'm not concerned at all. I'm not concerned at all. And I think, honestly, I think the way KU was handling this is is it's a relatively smart approach, right? Like, with the NIL stuff and everything, like, yes, you you have the opportunity to go out and get some big fish. And that's exactly what KU wants to do. And Guys, listen, there are all kinds of reasons why guys are on the portal. Maybe some guys do only care about the money. Some guys only care about whatever. But there's not one thing that you can look to and say, okay, this is what this is the way that we're going to get whoever we're trying to get. It's not just one factor involved in trying to get some guys. I mean, you look at a guy like Hunter Dickinson. What it hit, Besides Kansas, the other schools he's been linked to are schools that one has his AAU coach on staff and the other one has like one of his best friends on the team from AE or whatever. So there's other factors involved, right? So I, I think sometimes, and listen, I do the same thing. In fact, I may be the, mo- the one most guilty of it, of the idea of just saying like, hey, we're Kansas. Why aren't people just why aren't people just falling head over heels to come play for Kansas? Well, you know, it's, it's not always exactly that simple. And a, a Bill Self, on that same note, if you're saying we're Kansas, that means you can afford to be picky. You can afford to look and say, hey, this is a guy that would be a high-impact guy who we need. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the approach KU was taking this year. And <clears throat> while it might be frustrating right now, I think in the long term it's going to pan out just fine. Yeah, I, I think there is a, a, a certain bit of work being done in the shadows, whether it's reaching out to guys we don't know about or you know setting stuff up, having uh, contact with players that's maybe not being super reported. I think KU is trying to keep things close to their chest. When, when I look at any panic from any part of the fan base who's like, man, they don't have any commits yet, I think it comes from a place of, like if Kansas right now, let's say Kevin McCuller announced he was coming back or something. or <laughs> Everything you know, would be fine. Everything would be fine because it would feel like you have more certainty about the roster. Uh, a lot of it is because of the fact that I, I don't necessarily think everybody's freaking out that they haven't filled all four, but it's like, why haven't they filled at least one yet? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. are they are they going to have enough competent players on the team? I do think this is a bit intentional from what you were kind of talking about with them taking a patient approach. So let's go back. Um <clears throat> Joe Yesifu, who obviously that didn't really work out super well for KU. Cam Martin, same thing. 
Joe Yasufu committed to KU on April 7th, and Cam Martin committed to KU on March 31st. These dates come from Michael Swain with uh, 24-7 Sports, who uh, did a good little piece talking about um, like when guys entered the portal or when they committed to KU. Then you look at the alternative. like Kevin McCuller and Remy Martin, they were both middle to late May. And when you look at that with Joe Yasufu and Cam Martin, I wonder looking back when... Kansas landed Cam Martin and Joe Yesvu. I think they, they they saw the early rush of the transfer portal. And this was, you know, 2021. I don't know. The, the transfer portal really started to, to flurry around, it has what, 2019, 2021, Yeah, it has definitely right? evolved yeah. rapidly. And so you saw this surge of players and you took the guys. And then it felt like maybe a month later there were some players that entered the portal where you were like, oh, man, I wish we would have had the – you know, it's like you walk into an ice cream shop that has a bunch of different flavors <laughs> – and you just pick the first one that you see because you're like, oh, it's ice cream. I love that flavor. And then as you're going through the line and you have your scoop of ice cream in your hand before you go pay, you see another flavor and you're like, crap, I should have waited for that. And that's what I wonder if that process was like for KU where they were like, I wish we would have held the scholarships a little longer so that this time they are being more patient. And so like the eggs are all in on the basket on Hunter Dickinson because they know, okay, realistically, Hunter Dickinson is a National Player of the Year All-American type candidate. We're not going to feel that way about this. If we land him now and another good player comes up in two weeks, we're going to be like, well, we got a really good player too. It's not that big of a deal, right? Yeah. So I do think it is intentional when you look at um, having that kind of patient approach for Bill well, Self. And when you consider Kevin McCuller, he kind of came out of nowhere. Yes. Right? He, I don't even think he was on anybody's radar of like possibly. No. He just posted you know. one day. He's like, oh, I'm between Gonzaga and Kansas. He was like, wait, I thought you were going through the draft process. When did you enter the portal? Exactly. So with this kind of stuff, you know, you, you just never know. And. And I thought Kevin Flaherty yesterday was did a good job of talking about how with with basketball in the portal, it feels almost like a lot of times there's so much back channeling, there's so much like stuff that's going on behind the scenes to where there can be guys that are not even in the portal yet. And it's like people know already, hey, this guy wants to go here, this guy wants to go there, whatever, right? So it's like so it's like there can be somebody who's not even in the portal who may not even even, even be on anybody's radar that could be somebody who could be entering it and then somebody that Kansas might be interested in, right? So mm-hmm. so I do think <clears throat> I do think that this that approach is definitely intentional, like you said. And and I think from listening to Bill Self's comments last week, I mean, can you get any stronger than what he said about how aggressive they're gonna be in the portal? I mean, he he used about as strong a language as I think you could you could say about how they feel about the portal. So clearly they are doing work. Clearly right. they are investigating and very much doing their due diligence in the portal. So, I, yes, continue to urge patience. I think everything's going to be fine. I think KU is the person who doesn't use social media right now. You know how you'll go on a trip? Let's say you're going on a trip with friends. You have the one friend who posts everything to, like, Snapchat, Instagram. <laughs> you know, they want to show everybody what they're doing. Then you have the uh, another friend as part of the group that, you know, they're, they're just like, I just want to live in the moment. I don't need to, like, post all this stuff. Yeah. That's KU. They're just living in the moment. They don't need to post everything. They're just, you know, yeah. they're going through it and everything. Now, I will say, so uh, I, I think the answer to this would probably be about the same, if not the same. If I asked you, like, on a, I don't know, scale of zero to five, um, panic level, worry level about KU not having to commit right now, I'd have a zero. I'm not concerned. Yeah, right? one point five. Sure. Um, let me ask you one caveat to that, though. Okay. Though. Let's say Hunter Dickinson commits to somewhere else. Okay. What does that number become? Mm, it doesn't change that much, I okay. don't think. I mean, I understand, like, KU's put a lot into it, and it would be 
I don't want to say it would be a letdown, but I do think it would be like, a, oh, man, you know, like, dang, we missed on him or whatever. But I, I just – I think KU would survive without getting Hunter Dickinson. I tend to agree, but there's a pretty clear drop-off right now. I guess, yeah. I don't know, Jesse Edwards entered. Like, he's a really good center. There, there's some rumors about some other centers. Well, and again, we, I mean, we've had this discussion, like, realistically, does KU absolutely need a transfer portal big man? Like, if you've got a top five player of the year type guy, yes. Yeah. But, like, do you do you just need Joe Schmo from the portal? Yeah, like, the, if you don't get Hunter Dickinson, they might just get another really good wing, you yeah. know? And that yeah. might be okay, too. Yeah. So, I, I, I think you're... You're right that it doesn't change it much in terms of you. There'd still be high expectations for Kansas next year, but I do think the difference of having Hunter Dickinson versus not correct, yes, is pretty stark. I mean, with with Hunter Dickinson, you're a bona fide number one team, right? Without him, you might be a top five team, yeah, or a top ten, maybe, team, yeah, right. But you're not going to be number one, right? I think that's the best way of putting it. So you can but still be again fine the preseason rankings, as we've seen from this last season. They don't mean squat. Because who was number one? Oh, North Carolina. Who didn't make the NCAA tournament? Oh, North Carolina. I who think, cares uh, if you're number one or not? 2018-19, wasn't Kansas number one headed into that year? The Diedrich Lawson year? I mean, Yudoka and Azubuki ended up getting injured, so that was obviously a big part of it. Maybe. I don't remember. I think they were number one that year. So I, I think the perfect spot to be in is like be preseason number two or number three. You know, you don't. Yeah, have, I don't think you, you don't have all the expectations, one. but you're still expected to be like <laughs> one of the best teams in the country. Anyway, uh, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by Jesse Newell in about 15 minutes from right now. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. The NFL draft is, gosh, two weeks away. That's pretty crazy how that uh, works up on you. It's going to be in Kansas City. The Chiefs will have a couple uh, interesting holes to fill. Let's catch up what those holes could be as as far as some uh, offseason talk here. So I, I guess first things first, Jesse, without a doubt, the biggest talking point, I feel like, for the Chiefs offseason, at least lately, has been the receiver position. Odell Beckham signs with the Ravens and gets a bunch of money to go there. The Chiefs did make the signing of Richie James. I don't think that necessarily uh, quenched the thirst, so to speak, of of the Chiefs fandom out there at, at the receiver position. What do you kind of make of what they've done here at the receiver position and maybe the risk that they're putting on hoping that you know some of these young players or, or players that are back for year two have big growth in the next season? Yeah, I think you can read a couple things into it. Uh, you're right, Derek, that there was a lot of smoke to the fire that the Chiefs were potentially going out there and trying to get uh, a, a receiver, whether it was in free agency or even through a trade. Uh, and we know they were in on Juju Smith-Schuster before he signed with the Patriots, kind of to finish second in that race. We know that there's been smoke with them with DeAndre Hopkins. We know that they were in on Odell Beckham Jr. before the Ravens just completely backed the brink truck up to, to get him in hopes that they would appease Lamar Jackson and he would resign with the team. So I think what the Chiefs are finding is that, you know, they have done a great job here in the past few years of kind of sticking to their bottom line, figuring they know what value each particular player is worth and not going over that, not compromising what they believe in. And it's tough for them or tougher for them this year to sign receivers than it was a year ago. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster had that prove-it deal, which is perfect for the Chiefs. He had a one-year incentive-related deal. He kind of had to go in there and prove himself, and he did. He won a Super Bowl, and he got a nice contract out of it. So you're sort of looking at who that next player is that potentially would want to do that with the Chiefs, and the most natural person would have been 
Odell Beckham Jr. And then uh, obviously the Ravens kind of outbid the Chiefs for his services there. So this sort of goes back to the original thought, which is the Chiefs right now um, with Patrick Mahomes' salary on the books and with them having to be always mindful of the salary cap, it's probably going to be easiest for them to get those types of players, whether it's offensive tackle, edge rusher, or wide receiver, easiest to get them in the draft. And so that's potentially why the Chiefs might look in the first round or especially in the first two or three rounds at a wide receiver just because there are no hiccups and there are nobody they have to outbid. They basically just have to use a draft pick and hope that the surplus value that you get from that player on his rookie deal is worth more than the pick you're, you're you know, paying for him. So, yeah, I, I think the Chiefs definitely, because they were in on these receivers, you could look to them to take a receiver very early, but they also might just be of the mindset at this point to think, you know, screw it with the rest of the free agency. Screw it with trying to, to figure out how to, to get those guys in your budget. Better go draft those guys. And uh, if they do that, then you could potentially see one of those guys going round one to the Chiefs. Well, do you think that what they currently have on the roster, so Marquez Valdez-Scantling into year two, uh, maybe expecting a jump from Kadarius Toney and, and Sky Moore in the second year inside the, the Chiefs organization, um, having, I don't know, maybe some sort of hope that a guy like Justin Ross or, or somebody like that can break out. Do you think they have enough to, I don't know, win, win the Super Bowl again at, at that receiver position? Yeah, I, I do. I think I think the Chiefs kind of view it in a different way, and I think they do it the smart way, which is, um, you know, right now they're the favorites to win the Super Bowl, and usually those odds don't change much after the NFL draft. So more than likely they're going to be the favorite to win next year's Super Bowl, even after – two weeks from now and when we figure out who they decided to take. But the Chiefs do a really good job of covering even their weaknesses. They are covered where it's not a desperation. And so we can go through the three positions, you know, receiver. Would they like to have somebody else? Yes. Would they like to have more cover in case Darius Tony gets hurt or Sky Moore doesn't take the jump or MVS is as inconsistent as he was a season ago? Absolutely. If they get nobody else, could they function with what they have right now? Yes, and I kind of talk about this. I mean, the Chiefs always have first-world problems, right? I mean, this is not like they're dying of starvation. This is like, eh, I'm still kind of hungry. I could use dessert. You know what I mean? Like, that's sort of where the Chiefs are. We can go that way with offensive tackle, too. I mean, uh, Jawan Taylor, they signed him to be their left tackle. They have Lucas Yang, who was a former starter for them. If he can remain healthy, you feel pretty good about that. For a second one, no-go. Uh, was a backup last year, but, they, you know, he's okay, serviceable, if you need some fill-in there. And then uh, Darren Kennard, they drafted last year. I mean, do you feel amazing about that position? No. I mean, do you feel like it's desperation? You have to take something in the first round. No. I mean, they can survive with it. They could find a free agent signing if they needed to to add to depth if they don't get a guy in the draft. They probably will address in the draft, though. And you say the same thing about edge rusher. I mean, how many years in a row now have the Chiefs signed an edge rusher in the middle of the summer that ended up being really good for them? And that's another potential for this year as well. So would you like somebody opposite George Karloftis that you can depend upon for multiple years and kind of have those guys grow together? Yeah. Could you still, if you don't draft that guy, find somebody else, a veteran that's ready to go win a Super Bowl and, and have him boost his stock? You probably could as well. So I think the Chiefs just set this up really well where they let the value fall to them at the end of the first round. I, like they'd love to have Quentin Johnson fall to them. They'd love to have Zay Flowers fall to them. They probably would love Anton Harrison from Oklahoma, the, the right tackle or left tackle at Oklahoma, could be right tackle with the Chiefs. They'd love to have him fall to him. But the bottom line is, any of those three positions, they're going to let the board fall, and things are going to happen that we can't anticipate right now. So they left themselves where, just like last year, just like with Tyree Kill in the trade, just like Orlando Brown in the negotiations, they never paint themselves in the corner. They never go and say, we have to have this, because that creates desperation. That creates where you're at if you're the Jets and you're waiting on Brett Favre. That creates where the Ravens are with 
Odell Beckham Jr. because they have to sign him because otherwise Lamar Jackson is unhappy. So they never put themselves in a have-to-have situation, and that really is the way to be an NFL GM is to sort of let the value fall to you, let things fall as they may, and then be there ready to catch whatever value is there. And that's what the Chiefs have done in the past. That's what they did last year. Uh, Brent Veach said the night before he would have never guessed in a million years that they would have taken Trent McDuffie the next day, but that guy fell, and so did Kyrie Elam. So they traded up, they got their pick, it worked out well for them. I anticipate them doing the same thing this year. They're going to see how the sport falls and not panic, not reach, and not do the things that desperate teams do. You can check out Jesse, one of his latest pieces in the Star uh, mock drafts on um, uh, seven round predictions for the Chiefs. When when you were putting that story together and you were looking at some of the different receiver options, it seems like there's four or five guys up at the top there. You talked about Quentin Johnston and Zay Flowers and uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba and uh, all these guys that who knows if they'll be available there. But when you look at those top tier, the the upper shelf of receivers in this NFL draft. Which ones do you think make the most sense to Kansas City and why? Yeah, I, I think the two that make the most sense to me are the ones I mentioned. So, um, And you can go different ways. It's, some of this is about fit and figuring out what would work best for the Chiefs and what would work best for Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, all those sorts of things, and kind of trying to project in the future. Uh, having said all this, last year I talked to Brett Veach uh, in St. Joseph, Missouri, at training camp, said, hey, what did you try to do with your receivers? Did you try to cater them to Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid? He said, no. I just tried to grab talent and figure that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes can figure it out from there. And so maybe there is some merit to doing that. But when I look at Zay Flowers, um, and if you go watch his explosiveness on film, um, smaller receiver, but just dynamic in short spaces, uh, it reminds me of it's, it's Tyree Kill Light. You know what I mean? It's, it's probably Kadarius Tony plus Tyree Kill Light, that sort of player. And if we know one thing, the Chiefs, they throw behind the chains more than any team in the NFL. They play to space both vertically and horizontally, and they love to get people and receivers out in space where they can win off the line and create uh, openings in space. Because Patrick Mahomes right now, and, and this is not a knock on him, this is just who he is, he is not a contested catch quarterback right now. He's not the guy that likes to just throw it up and say, my guy's going to make a play. He loves to throw a space. He loves to throw to open dudes. And Zay Flowers is the guy that'll get open. You know what I mean? Kind of like the, the Tyree Kill you remember from a few years back where he could – if he beats you off the line, nobody can stay with him um, on the run. He can go up and make a play better than what you think for his size. Now, again, his wingspan is, is really small, but just an explosive athlete in those terms can go up and get the ball and can go out and win in space against defensive backs. That, to me, seems like a really good fit for the Chiefs, and it seems like a piece that Andy Reid always knows how to utilize. So I could see them really loving if that particular player felt to them. Again, we know this from the Chiefs right now. We know this from the offseason. This is not a player – that they can get in free agency. They, they struck gold with Kadarius Tony trading for him last year on an ultimate buy-low opportunity, but I'm not sure those things are going to pass you by very often. So getting this player in the first round, potentially, I think it could be a great fit for the Chiefs. I think Andy Reid would know how to use him, and all of a sudden, I know that would be a lot of small receivers for the Chiefs, but they utilize small receivers very, very well. Quentin Johnson would be kind of the opposite look. The one big player they lost in free agency this year would be Juju Smith-Schuster, kind of the big dude, the big target, finds holes in the zone, moves the chain, can go over the middle of the field, that sort of thing. Uh, that's when Quentin Johnson can kind of fit in. He is kind of the opposite of Zay Flowers in that regard. 6'3", six, 6'4", six, long wingspan, um, big target, that sort of thing. So if the Chiefs are looking for kind of like a one-for-one replacement, uh, that would be it. And sort of interesting, the Chiefs played a Monday night football game um, on the week that KU and TCU played in uh, the college game day. And so we were up there covering the Chiefs. They had a media session on Saturday. They always do it two days before the game. And all the TVs in the office had the KUTCU game on, and 
Uh, Derek, as you remember, that was the game that Derek, or that, not Derek Johnson, that uh, Quentin Johnson mm-hmm. went A-ham on, on the Jayhawks. <laughs> and so I know the Chiefs coaches and uh, front office members, they were well aware of that game because it was all over the, the Chiefs facility. So uh, I do think they have their eye on him in particular. But will he fall that far? I don't know. And that's kind of the wild card with this wide receiver class is that there are a lot of different opinions. You know, I, I saw Jim Nagy out there, a well-respected guy, said some teams only have one wide receiver with a first-round grade, which seems pretty low. And there's other guys out there like uh, Mel Kuyper. He has Zay Flowers as his number one receiver overall. So it doesn't seem like there's a consensus that, you know, uh, you talk about Smith and Jigba. I mean, most people have him number one, but, again, it's not a consensus thing. So potentially the Chiefs will have an opportunity for a receiver to fall to them, maybe a guy they like. And I think the two that they like the most out of those would probably be, probably be Zay Flowers uh, and then Quentin Johnston, but both for different reasons. Well, it's interesting because I, I think you could almost make the case that a guy like Jackson Smith and Jigba might be the best fit for just like who would have the biggest impact as a rookie, just in terms of what he could do. But if you're looking long term, yeah, it would be Zay Flowers or Quentin Johnston or something. And I, I wonder how they would approach that this season because uh, the receiving core isn't necessarily one that um, inspires a lot of confidence right now. Uh, who do you think they're they're more? Um, I guess, impressed with or uh, they, they feel like he's going to make a bigger jump next season? Sky Moore or Kadarius Tony? And what do you think happens if neither does make that jump? Yeah, so I, I would say, I mean, the hopes is for both of them, honestly. Um, I would say the bigger jump, bigger potential, at least from what we've seen so far, would be Kadarius Tony, um, just because what's held him back more than anything has been injury. And the Chiefs utilized him well last year, I thought. You know, there were some things with him. He's, he's a player who's, like, really hard on himself and takes things very personally when he messes up. And so I think the Chiefs did some things behind the scenes to kind of help him out to be able to be his best self. But, again, the injuries are a concern there. I think he probably has more tools, more um, upside. And, and that's not saying anything against Sky Moore. It's just, you know, Darius Tony was the 20th overall pick. I mean, he was drafted there for a reason. Sky Moore, uh, his was – knowing the offense um it took a while it just did and and i talked to him throughout the year like every month i went to him like hey how how is it sounding how is the offense and he's like i pick up a little bit more and now i know where i'm lining up and now i can think about the the defense across from me and read that and so so much of this is just chemistry with Mahomes and reading defenses after the snap and that's really where guys like kelsey um make their stats is because he's on the same page with patrick Mahomes. that takes some development that takes some time in the integrated to offense so um, I think they have hopes for both of those guys to be better. If it doesn't happen, you know, I, I think that the Chiefs do what the Chiefs do, right? Um, it's amazing to me, like, by the way, randomly, Jarek McKinnon was the AFC Offensive Player of the Month for December last year. And the guy can't get a contract in the NFL right now. Uh, you know, so some of this <laughs> still remains, you know, some like Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes magic where – they can turn guys into something. They can make some things out there with the schemes and get guys open. And, again, we saw in the Super Bowl, I mean, two of the most wide-open touchdowns of the entire 22-23 NFL season came in the Super Bowl when the Chiefs used this return motion and got guys wide open on the perimeter. So some of this is going to be smoke and mirrors if those guys don't emerge and don't just become absolute playmakers like the Chiefs hope. Uh, but, yeah, I, I do think you, you mentioned this a little bit before, but – the Chiefs could be looking long-term play maybe every year at receiver because if this is just not a position they can sign or if this is a position they're just not willing to pay on free agents who are over the hill or older, then it makes some sense to just draft a receiver every year. You know, Second round, third round, first round, let those guys develop, give them a red shirt type of year, and then, hey, 
by years two, three, four, five, you've got a cheap player on a good contract who understands the system, and all of a sudden Patrick Mahomes has all the weapons he needs to be able to run the offense the way the Chiefs want to run it. Right, I do have a non-receiver question. Uh, what do you think was the best move the Chiefs made this offseason, and what's the move that, not necessarily a bad move, but maybe you do have the most questions about how it's going to fit or work out? Hmm. Good question. I would say uh, Charles and Menahu, I think, was their best move. And, I mean, the only caveat there is, you know, sort of like the Chiefs um, bring in offensive linemen and they get with offensive line coach Andy Heck, and those guys turn into to gold. You know, Creed Humphrey's amazing, and Trey Smith is amazing, and Orlando Brown performs better than, you know, he did in Baltimore. And, and you know, they kind of turn those things to gold. That's kind of what San Francisco has been with their defensive line under their defensive line coach. So there's maybe a little bit of hesitation with Charles Amenahu to say, okay, is this just kind of a product of the system and a product of they turn every guy into really good, and maybe he won't be that way with the Chiefs. But the underlying numbers are really good, and I think it's a – I mean, this is something you sort of have to caveat with it. This is something the Chiefs have done in the past, um, and, and kind of reminds me a little bit of what the Royals did this offseason with Chapman, uh, is that, you know, he has he, – he had an arrest – right before the NFC Championship game. And so most likely he will be facing some sort of punishment from the NFL, just like uh, Willie Gay did last year, just like Frank Clark did last year. But the Chiefs are expecting to be in the playoffs, and they withstood that last year with those guys. They can withstand that with Charles Amenahu because of, you know, the position they're likely going to be in. So um, unfortunately for, you know, all of us out there, you know, the Chiefs kind of took a buy low based off of a legal matter potentially. But uh, if you're just looking on field and the potential fit and being able to have an edge rush who can move inside and out fits what the Chiefs do with their scheme, I think it was a really good signing. And for the Chiefs, a guy that they probably didn't expect to get, they were able to get late. Uh, I, I'm just Juwan Taylor is the biggest question mark. Uh, they paid him the most money of any offensive tackle this offseason, so they're committed to him. They love his athleticism. They believe he can move from the right side to the left side. But that's a big ask. That's a big gamble, and that's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Now, again, the reason it could work out is the reason I just mentioned, because everything that Andy Heck touches as the offensive line coach for the Chiefs usually turns into gold. So if they believe it can work, it, you know, you kind of have to give them the benefit of the doubt right now to say it probably is going to work because they saw this and they paid that money to make Jawan Taylor their potential left tackle. But I do have the most questions about that move because you can easily envision a scenario where that's not as smooth of a transition, especially in year one, as you would want it to be. I'd have a kiss, Barry kill for you. Which is most likely, and and give the designated tag for all these, the Chiefs staying put in the draft, the Chiefs trading up in the first round, or the Chiefs trading out of the first round? Okay, yeah, this is a good one. Um, I will definitely kill the Chiefs trading out of the first round. Uh, Clark Hunt has joked with Brett Veach, Clark Hunt, owner of the Chiefs, joked with him. About a year ago, when we were talking to him right after the draft and said, hey, don't trade that first-round pick. The draft is in Kansas City. And uh, Brett Beach tried to convince us that Clark Hunt was joking. But I'm here to tell you, Clark Hunt was not joking. <laughs> You're going to get the draft in Kansas City once in your lifetime. And there's going to be one magic emotional moment that the Chiefs get with, you know, whatever, 60%, 70% of the crowd is Chiefs fans, culminating at the end of the night, getting that Chiefs draft pick and getting cheer on whatever pick that is. So the Chiefs are keeping a first-round pick. I, I would – not 100%, nothing 100%, but 99.9. I would be stunned, stunned, shocked, stunned if they trade out of the first round, even if the value is great, just because of emotional reasons. And you know what? I sort of get it. I think the Chiefs, with all their fans there on a Thursday night, probably inebriated as well, they need that first round pick to cheer for. Uh, I will kiss moving up in the first round. I think, again, I think the Chiefs, for the most part, they love getting value at the end and letting things fall to them and seeing how things go. Uh, but 
uh, they have moved up before. And Brett Veach has shown in the past that he's been aggressive to go up and get guys if he thinks uh, that he wants them and has faith in them and their scouts uh, like them on their big board. So I will kiss that, but I will marry them keeping the 31st pick because it just seems to me like any year you go uh, that the runs happen that you don't expect. And like I said, especially with this receiver class, there is not a consensus. So even if guys like Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnson are projected to go top 10, top 15, top 20, in most of these mock drafts, top 25, there are different opinions. You know, maybe uh, Smithing Jigba and Jalen Hyatt will go before them and things will fall that way. Or maybe there will be no offensive tackles taken because teams will go all you know quarterbacks and receivers, that sort of thing. So I think the Chiefs sticking at 31, remaining patient, getting surplus value from that pick, I think that's the most likely option. I will marry it. I will kiss the possibility of them moving out because they've done it in the past, but I will definitely kill them moving out of first round. Clark Hunt wants to see his fans celebrate at Union Station, and he wants to see them celebrate a draft pick. All right, I have a, a tinfoil, I don't know, even know. maybe this isn't tinfoil, a, a hypothetical um, for you as far as them moving out, because I agree with you. I, I feel like it's very unlikely they move out. What about this scenario, though? Instead of them moving out to just acquire more picks or something, it's them making the trade for DeAndre Hopkins, and maybe they already have something lined up, but they're like, hey, if we're going to have to trade, you know, we trade our first-round pick for DeAndre Hopkins in a second or DeAndre Hopkins in a third. I, I don't know what the, the proper value would be there, but I don't think he's quite worth the full first-round pick since you have to pay him and everything. Um, but let's say you do have that trade and the Chiefs already have it lined up, but they're sitting there going, man, if we do this now, we're not going to have a first-round pick you know, once we get to the actual draft, if we announce this on draft night, the fans can still celebrate just having DeAndre Hopkins. <laughs> That's pretty simple I had of you. There we go. Um, yeah, here's the problem. Um, there's even been some whispers out there that the Cardinals might release DeAndre Hopkins. Mm. And this is really where I, I don't have to get into a huge math problem here uh, with you, but this is where surplus value matters. And the Chiefs, I guarantee you understand this, which is you draft a player – in the first round, you get five years of him for way below what he should be making. If you trade a first-round pick for Johnny Hopkins, you're getting him at his salary, which is whatever, 15, 17, whatever that number is, even if he wants to talk it down a little bit. But that's why draft picks are so valuable. Um, I was reading a Pro Football Focus article today, and they, they showed the teams that have gotten the most value out of the draft in the last five years. Number one team in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs. So we can talk a lot ourselves in circles about what wins, what doesn't, how Andy Reid does things. I mean, all these things are great for them. But the Chiefs really, really hit on the draft, and they understand surplus value. And so if you really like DeAndre Hopkins, you probably will really like Zay Flowers or Quentin Johnston or JSN or Jalen Hyatt and getting those guys especially at a discount because of the rookie weight scale that's out there now. So I don't see that happening. I don't see them doing that. I could see the tinfoil hat if there was a player out there that would make sense for them. I don't think Hopkins is that guy, and I still think the easiest route around this is to be able to – have Goodell walk up to the microphone with the 31st pick and have the Chiefs celebrate whatever pick that is. Awesome. Well, Jesse, I appreciate the time as always, man, and, and have fun covering the draft in a few weeks. All right. Appreciate it, Derek. Thanks. That was Jesse Newell. Check out all his work in the Kansas City Star and at KansasCity.com. One hour down, two to go. We got a uh, Into the Transfer Portal segment next. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and it is time to go into the transfer portal. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to the average basketball fan. It is a dimension as large as Wilt and as timeless as Perry Ellis. 
It is the middle ground between staying and leaving, between wins and losses, and it lies between the pit of recruiting and entrance to the NBA. This is the dimension of new schools. It is an area which we call the transfer portal. Okay, into the transfer portal we go where we discuss maybe some of the latest things that is uh, on the mind of uh, KU basketball in the transfer portal, as you would imagine. There's a lot on the mind of KU basketball. Yes, there is, (laughs) as always. Okay, uh, let's start here. KU is having a meeting soon with Harrison Ingram. Sounds like uh, it could be starting on Monday for KU. That certainly is of note. Harrison Ingram is a transfer from Stanford. He is kind of of the Jalen Wilson ilk as far as being like a, a forward type that can play at the three or four. He's like six foot seven, six foot eight. Not like the most explosive athlete in the world, but he's got a really good game in terms of just like feel and. Um, He's a former McDonald's All-American. He's a former five-star recruit. Typically, those former McDonald's All-American five-star recruits, the longer they stay in college, they tend to really break out. They they don't tend to be stagnant guys. You know what I mean? Like they continue sure. to develop over yeah. year in and year out. So I think it's safe to assume that he would be even better next year than he was this past season. Um, and it, it's kind of an interesting fit if they were to nab him. So as far as the, the teams that are in on him, seems like North Carolina is kind of heavy in on him, though they have taken some other like uh, forwards or, or shown interest in other forwards that, that do make it interesting here. He's going to have some other visits coming up as well. Um, I will say, you know, we talk all the time about Jalen Wilson not dunking, and as much as Harrison Ingram not known for being like the most vertically athletic guy, did have seven dunks this past year. Wow. So that is seven. a big improvement. Wow. That is a big improvement. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, good player overall, 10.5 points per game each of the last two seasons. Last year played about three less minutes per game. He's a good passer, over three assists per game for his career. Good rebounder, over six rebounds per game for his career. He's a strong player, so he's a, a pretty good defender inside. If you get him into space, maybe he's not the best defender because he's not ultimately like super quick or fleet of foot. I think the big question here with bringing on a guy like Harrison Ingram is is how does the offense, how does the shooting translate? Yeah, because I think he's a low 30s three-point shooter. So. 31.3% last, or, or two, his freshman year, 31.9% last season. Yeah, so probably not going to make a significant jump in that category, uh, which is shooting something that we've highlighted significantly about KU in terms of what they might be looking for in the portal. So that maybe is the biggest question mark, I think, for me, would be his ability to create shots in the mid-range slash three-point shooting, uh, which which should be a concern for Kansas. But this is a guy that's been described as a really, really smart player, really, really understands the game very well. And that type of player generally has success under a Bill Self offense because you see a lot of the plays that Bill Self runs, a lot of the plays that KU runs are... Oh, maybe I don't know if complex is the right word, but they're very active plays, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of movement. There's you know you've got to you've got to be a player that understands timing, that understands when and where the ball needs to be on the court to execute the offense. And this is the type of guy that I think would be able to do that at a high level for KU. So there's a lot of positives from Ingram. I think really the only one uh, negative probably isn't the right term, but the one real maybe thing that might give you a pause if you're Kansas is that question of. 
this is the type of guy, if, okay, we bring him in, we are going to then need to really, really focus on getting some shooting because he is not someone that saw, that checks that box for Kansas, which that's a pretty big box that KU wants to check and maybe the biggest box they need to find, right? So, right. so that doesn't really... That doesn't really answer your question there, but like we highlighted, you have you have multiple scholarships, right? So this is a guy that I think if you are able to go out and get a great shooter, this looks like a player that would be much better for KU. So it's definitely an intriguing an intriguing player and someone that you should definitely be keeping your eye on. Yeah, and I, I will say some of the shooting numbers can be better when given with context. So he actually ranked in the 88th percentile last season in spot-up shooting. He was 18 for 42 on spot-up threes specifically, which is 43%. And and when you look at, you know, Jared Hass's offense versus Bill Self's offense, like you said, one is a little bit more complex there with Bill Self. And um, I think... Which could lead to more open, open Right, shots. right. And that's the thing. I mean, Harrison Ingram might not be as counted upon to the offense. Like, he might not be as, as high up the list of... Maybe for Stanford, he was the number two option consistently, right? For Kansas, he might be the number three or the number four. He might get more open looks because of what Bill Self can drop, because of yeah. Dewan Harris having the ball in his hand and getting a, a touch in the paint and opening him up. So even though the three-point percentage isn't great overall, when you look at just his spot-up shooting, which he would be doing a lot more of at KU, I'd imagine, than he did at Stanford, it was actually really good last season. So for that reason, it, it is a little bit better of a fit there from the shooting. Plus, when you look at it this way, he was, yeah, 31 32% from three. Kevin McCuller was high 20s, low 30s, yeah. too. Yeah. If you just look at it but, as an exchange for Kevin, it's about the same, yeah. you know, from yeah. three. But if you're looking at it as someone who you're trying to fill Jalen Wilson's shoes, then there's a drop-off. Yes, correct. Although Jalen was 33 33.5%, so it's not that much of a drop-off, but Jalen was much higher volume. Now, the one thing that's interesting, though, is if you were to say, well, it's fine if we just exchange, like Harrison Ingram is about the same as Kevin McCuller or slightly worse than Jalen Wilson. But that doesn't answer the figuring out the exchange for who you're going to get for Grady Dick from three. Yes. And the easiest way to overcome losing Grady Dick's three-point shooting is just to have a little bit of everybody pick it up, right? Pick up the slack. Because it's not yeah. just that you want to pick up what you lost with Grady Dick. It's that you want to be better than you were this past season from three because you weren't a great three-point shooting no, team this season. you were season. below average. Exactly. So realistically, with Grady Dick. Realistically, you need a Grady Dick replacement and you need improvements <laughs> from what you lost with Kevin and Jalen in terms of three-point shooting. Yeah. And maybe DeWan will, will help with the three-point shooting. Maybe that'll be a part of his game that he adds to next season in terms of uh, showing more versatility with getting off those three-point shots because he shot well percentage-wise, but maybe getting off uh, a few more like off the dribble or when a guy goes underneath a screen or something like that. Um, but I do think overall this is a good player, high pedigree. Because he's a former McDonald's All-American five-star, you expect that guy to get even better as a junior. Even though there are some questions about the athleticism and the shooting, I think overall he is a good enough player that you absolutely take. Yes, and he's generally agreed upon as being a top 10 maybe top five player in the portal so there's no question that he is a coveted yeah. transfer guy if it's on the wing he can play the three he can play yes. the four right yes yes those are both you know that's position ku needs um other transfer news to get to khalif battle we've talked about him in the past he committed to arkansas so that is no longer a thing for ku seems like they kind of backed off for a bit yeah yeah, we hadn't really heard much about him after the initial like interest, and then there was, wasn't really much of a follow-up, it seemed like. 
Uh, Walter Clayton, who is, I, I don't know that KU ever really like pushed for, but was a favorite of mine because of <laughs> mainly the free throw percentage, honestly, was ridiculous. Uh, but he committed to Florida. That's interesting there. Uh, here's one interesting. TCU took a, a portal guard, their second portal guard. They got Jameer Nelson earlier. They took another. So now they've had two portal guards come in. They are still awaiting the decision of Damian Baugh. Mike Miles already announced he's going to the NBA draft. It doesn't totally preclude you. You could have more guards or whatever. But they were one of the schools to have a visit with Primo Spears. And Spears released his list of uh, like the four finalists. I think it was Florida State, TCU, Kansas, um, Arkansas, I think was the other one. Well, Arkansas has taken all these guards. TCU's taken all these guards. No idea what to think with Florida State. But Kansas, I guess? This is an interesting one. Yeah, he's the what, like a 6'3 guard from Georgetown. Uh, maybe more of a two guy, I think, but not the best shooter in the world either. So I think with a guy like this, you maybe would still have some questions in that area. But when you look for K, you, you're going to need a. I mean, I, I think it's on one hand, you can you can assume that El Marco Jackson is going to have an impact, but can you assume that he is going to be day one, game one, ready to start at the two guard? Nah, maybe not, right? So this could be a type of player if you get like a Primo Spears type where maybe he's a starter but eventually transitions into more of like a sharing minutes with El Marco Jackson into more of like your first guard off the bench type situation. But uh, he's, he's a guy that Kansas either had a visit with or they have scheduled one, I think. Yeah, so, I think it's for next week. Yeah, so I guess we'll see what comes out of that. Yeah, and he's he's a guy who it's like if you told me that Kevin McCuller is going to come back and Kyle Cuff's going to stay, and at that point you only have two scholarships to work with, yeah, I don't think you can afford to to take him. But if you told me that let's say you know Kevin McCuller stays in the NBA draft and then Kyle Cuff ends up transferring, now you have four scholarships to work with. Yeah, and I mean the biggest question is, as, especially at the guard position, you have Dewan and El Marco. As of right now, you don't really have anybody else, right. so you're going to need a third guy that can slot into the two position potentially or at least you know spread those minutes out a little more my biggest hesitation is you don't know for sure if you would get immediately eligible it'd be a second transfer in as many years ncaa said they're going to crack down on yeah where's he from originally uh he was at duquesne then went to georgetown georgetown fires their coach ncaa said they're not really going to give out waivers for the the different coaching stuff so that makes it a little bit more complicated and in a year where you are going to have your self-imposed one less scholarship you definitely can't afford to have a right. guy just taking up a scholarship sitting out right and here's where i'm at with primo spears um is he the most efficient option out there no only shot 40 percent, 30 percent from three that doesn't categorize as somebody that um you totally want to me it's like oh if you have nick timberlake or primo spears you obviously take nick timberlake but let's say you don't get nick timberlake and, and let's say there's another guard option out there that you don't get i don't know and he is your option of someone who can come off the bench. At the very least, he's probably an upgrade over what you got from Joe and Bobby at the backup point guard role in terms of production and, and being able to create his own shot and being able to score. He does have pretty good, actually, isolation scoring numbers uh, and spot-up shooting numbers from this past season. He was just on a bad team. Um, part of his numbers, the counting numbers being good is because he was on a bad team and somebody has to score. But also, <laughs> you could say that, well, on a better team, he'll be asked to do less and maybe the efficiency goes up. So, He's one where I, I think I'm content taking, especially if you know you trust Bill Self, obviously, but um, yeah. probably not the first priority for Kansas. But he's a solid option to have, yeah, I as think like that's a fair. backup option. I think that's fair. Yeah. <clears throat> this kind of goes back to KU doing their due diligence, right? Yeah, like this is like you said, this is probably not your number one guy, 
But if things fall through with Timberlake or if whatever, this, that, or the other, he could be somebody who would be potentially a solid option to fill in. Because, like I said, you, you basically, if you're Kansas, you absolutely, just from the sake of having bodies, mm-hmm. you need another two guard or guy that can play the guard. Yeah, and, and I don't really tend to care, to be honest, in this day and age anymore if you get a transfer portal guy that has multiple years left. Because in my eyes, it's just like, well, if the kid transfers over and he only has a year left, guess what? You're just going to go back in the portal the next year and you'll be able to get another really good player out of the transfer portal. Yeah. But it is a, it's it's certainly not a negative. It's certainly better than the alternative. So talking <laughs> about somebody who could have multiple years and learn an extra year in the Bill Self system like that, I don't know, could be a good thing. Yep. There were a couple players that heard from Kansas over the last like week since we've uh, last done this. Jesse Edwards is the big one. So Edwards, quite literally and figuratively, Jesse Edwards is a transfer from Syracuse. He is a seven-foot center, and oh, he's already 23 years old. I didn't realize that. Um, nonetheless, that can be a good thing. You is know, you want a, is he a grad guy? Um, he is from the Netherlands. Let's see. He spent, yeah, four years at Syracuse, so he has the extra year for COVID year. So, yeah, he is a graduate guy. So, an older player. 14.5 points per game last season for Syracuse. 10.5 rebounds, almost three blocks per game. He also shot... 59% on two-point shots. The year before, he shot almost 70% on two-point shots. For his career, he's at 63% on two-point shots. Does playing in a zone concern you at all? It concerns me more with guards. Okay. Right? It concerns me more with the guys who are at the top or on the side, so it's like you don't really have to play man-to-man, and you're more about just like jumping passing lanes. Getting well, yeah, I guess if stuff. you're a big man, like you kind of the way, up, you're kind of roaming the paint. <laughs> yeah, you kind of end up yeah. being like a a man matchup type right because somebody's going to go down low and post up on and you or somebody's going to drive in on you <laughs> i feel like that part of it is is at least similar enough i mean okay. obviously there would be certain things that you have to yeah. and you this is a, this is a guy that sounds like if you fail or lose the hunter dickinson sweepstakes he could be a a really good option yes exactly and that's where this comes in like hunter dickinson still option one at center but this would be a really good secondary option to have there um He's a better defender than Hunter Dickinson, that's for sure. A uh, better rim protector. Um, the thing that's interesting with the offense, though, is that he's not really somebody who... Back to the basket type. Right. Like, he's getting a lot of it on, on lobs and, you know, stuff Which, like that. You know, KU does love their lobs, but... They do, but you already kind of have that. Yes, with Ernest. Right. So... Ideally, I've kind of said this whole time, like you get a big man that is a little bit different, can do something different. He still was in the 55th percentile in uh, post-ups, which is listed as good on Synergy. It's like above average, right? So it's not that he was bad at it. But again, like you're looking at, he is 90th percentile in pick and roll roll man. He is 80th percentile in offensive rebound putback, 79th percentile in cutting, 96th percentile in transition play. So like he's yeah. just a big man who runs the floor well, gets to the rim and dunks it. Um, now in a year in a Bill Self program, like maybe you can uh, learn a little bit more on posting up and that number can go from, you know, above average to even better than that. But yeah, I mean, he does enough there that he's a good backup option for Hunter Dickinson, even though I view Hunter Dickinson still as the number one guy. Yes. Jalen Hill. That name might ring a bell for people. He's uh, heard from Kansas, at least reportedly. Um, He is the transfer from Oklahoma. He uh, had one really good game guarding Jalen Wilson this past season. He uh, is known for his defense at Oklahoma. Six foot seven, two hundred twenty-five pound wing. Not the best scorer. Doesn't really shoot it super well. Twenty-nine percent from three on limited attempts this past year. Shot really well on two-point shots though. Ten points per game. Six rebounds. 
he's kind of in the ilk of to me. He's like a a uh, Harrison Ingram light. <laughs> he's like could he's, be. He's like you know about ten points per game, six rebounds. Yep. You know, solid defender. You get Hill and Kevin McCuller comes back. You win every game, forty-two to forty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's like I'd rather have Harrison Ingram than <laughs> Jalen Hill. Um, but I don't know. Somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, there was, yeah. th- there have been some reports out there that, you know, as, as we know, you never know which kids that have the heard from or received interest from. How much that's actually true? How much it's just the staff, you know, getting a quick reach well, out and to also, be like, is there just interest? because John Rothstein or whoever says this is a list of schools that reach out to this kid, right. that doesn't mean that that's the only. Those are the only schools that talked. Yeah, and and sometimes. There can be schools on those lists that didn't actually reach out. They're just trying to drive up the interest about their decision or, in today's day and age, NIL offerings. Yes. Um, but interestingly enough, like, I I don't know. I, I think the shooting kind of makes it a no-go there. Yeah. First career, 27% from three. Again, like, attempts game, we, shooting is one of the biggest things that Kansas needs. And if you would go out and get a bunch of guys that shoot 30%, that doesn't solve your problem. No, it does not. So, like, it'd be one thing if, you know, if this was the 2017-18 team where it was like, <laughs> oh, you have Svee and Devontae Graham and LeGerald Vick, and it's like, sure, bring me the defensive wing. We'll make that work. But it's like, no, that's not really how this team is constructed right now. And then I have a list, uh, a little four-pack of, hmm, guys that I haven't really seen interest attached from KU yet, but I don't know. There's at least some interest there for me in, in varying degrees uh, of play. Steven Ashworth. He is a tiny guard from Utah State. Don't love the fit of playing two small guards <laughs> next to each other. Ashworth is not known for being a very like a great defender, and he's been in a smaller league in the Mountain West, so that's not great. But, I mean, if, if you want to talk about ultimate, if, if you're just like, give me shooting and nothing else, <laughs> I don't know that you're going to find a much better player. We, we've talked about Nick Timberlake. He's in that same discussion, too, but like, so is Steven Ashworth. So I, I don't know what what would be your your interest in that I I haven't seen anything from KU. Yeah, uh, uh, I think I would be intrigued, but definitely not like this is the guy you want to go out and get. That's fair. Um, he struggled in their NCAA tournament game. It was two yeah, I remember that too. Three. Yeah, yeah. But could that just be like one bad game where you missed some open shots? This is this is this is fun to look at. His synergy page, <laughs> spot up shooting, 99th percentile. <laughs> Pick and roll ball handler, 97th percentile. Handoffs, 85th percentile. Um, transition play, 76th percentile. But is is does KU have enough like other scoring options to where this is the type of player where you could just tell him, hey, go stand in the corner and you'll be open for three? I don't, I don't know, know if that's going to be the case. And that's the problem. He's not like a great isolation player. You know, he's, he's somebody you draw stuff up for him or use yeah. his screens. Which, which like, Grady was, Grady sometimes was a player last season where you said, hey, go stand in the corner and shoot a three. But also, Grady showed an incredible ability to cut without the basketball and do a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Right? So he, he still was able to have more of his game besides that. Well, I will say, Ashworth is known for his ability oh. moving off the ball for and three. And also, so. Grady Dick, 6'8". Yeah. Yeah, that helps. So I, I think that's the biggest concern. Um, to me, if you miss out on, I think, okay, I... I think Ashworth might be a better... He, he is probably... I mean, Utah State was a top 30 Ken Palm team. Ashworth's scoring and shooting has a better chance of translating to the higher level, right? But I think for KU specifically, Timberlake still makes more sense Yeah, because of the size at six foot four. I agree with that. So I, I, I see that. But like, yeah, if you miss out on Timberlake, he commits to UConn this weekend or something. I don't know. I wouldn't hate it. Yeah. Give Ashworth a call. 
How about a couple Oklahoma State guys? Musa Cisse and Caleb Boone. Which would interest you more? Cisse probably for his rim protection and post play. Although, remember, Caleb Boone, he had a, he had a career high, I think, against KU when they played it at, in yeah, Stillwater. Yeah, 27, 28 points, I think. To me, it's Boone. Cisse would be the, like you said, great rim protector. But I think Uday and, and Zuby with another year of seasoning can can get can become good rim protectors. Maybe not to that level yet of what Cisse was, but that they can at least provide that for you. With Caleb Boone, you can play him at the four or you can play him at the five, like we saw Oklahoma State do at times last year. Yeah. I love that and versatility. It, it seems like he does he's have a more polished uh, back-to-the-basket type game. Yeah. Yeah, that game that you mentioned against KU, he had 27 points, 9 rebounds on 10 for 15. He can back you up to the basket, especially if he's on a smaller guy. He can shoot it a little bit. I mean, 58% from the floor uh, this past season for Boone. Year yeah. before, 50. Every year he's been at basically 55% or higher. And I think Cissé is the more highly rated guy on by some transfer sites, but... Boone might be a guy that you look at and say, okay, well, he's got more of that polished type offensive game. The question to me would you, would be, would you play him at the four or five? Because if you play him at the at the five, he's only like 198 pounds, which is not ideal to play the five. But we saw Oklahoma State play him at the five some, and they were oh, yeah, better when they Kansas. did that. Yeah. Um, but the problem is if you play him at the four, he Man. only shot, he went two for eight from three. Yeah, and, and again, I think with that, when you get into that kind of discussion, it's like KJ Adams is going to start, right? Probably for KU. And if you start another guy at the four, you put KJ the three. Yeah, <laughs> I think, and we know KJ is limited in terms of his ability to shoot. I think what it is to me is Caleb Boone. He would be that change of pace at the five. You have Ernest and Zuby in there as your traditional centers, rim protectors, big guys, blocking shots. Caleb Boone comes in there for, you know, 20 minutes a game, 15 minutes a game as a center who can just score for you. And you're yeah. playing him at the five. Yeah. Uh, that's how I view it. So, you know, not on the same level. Again, like it would, if you're tearing out the centers, I don't know, Hunter Dickinson, then Jesse Edwards, then there's a bit of a drop off. But Caleb Boone would be, you know, a fine, I guess, yeah, option behind the backups so to speak. Uh, the last yes. one, another center possibly backup option in the Big 12, Daniel Bacho. No. No? Not at all? No. You hate the Texas Tech big men. No, I don't. You hate Fardaz Amac. You hate Daniel Bacho. I do Bacho. hate Fardaz <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm not interested in Daniel Bacho. I'm not interested in O'Banner. Okay, I guess I hate them all. <laughs> okay. Fine, you got me. Yeah, uh, I don't know. This one doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So. Yeah, no. I just Interesting enough. He was no, a yeah, good enough player and then no, I'm I get gone. It. I get it. That is Into the Transfer Portal. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a time out, come back for more RCST after this break in the action on KLWN. Depend on it. About a quarter till five, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Um, I will talk more about RCST trivia at the end of this segment, but just real quick reminder, if you just hit us up with trivia, Anyway, you can get in contact with us. We'll start getting you registered for RCST Trivia, which will begin next week. Some college basketball news. This one just came out, and this one I'm, I'm sad about. I was just talking to you about this uh, during the break. Tyler Perry. No, not the uh, famous TV guy. It's spelled with an O. Tyler Perry. Oh. That's how you should pronounce it, just so that people don't confuse it. Tyler, Tyler Perry. Um, anyway, he is a transfer from North Texas. He has trimmed his list of schools. He's prioritizing in his recruitment. Although, the way this is worded, it says 
because this is from College Basketball Report. Tyler Perry tells me he's trimmed his list of the schools he's prioritizing in his recruitment. He is now prioritizing. So doesn't that, that tell that you that mean? if somebody else comes along that's like of interest, he'll just add yeah, them what, to the list? Yeah, I'm, I'm also it's not con- actually trimming yeah. the list. This, this is this is almost as bad as Caden Chet. He's just saying who he's prioritizing. This is almost as bad as Caden Yeah, Chedrick. yeah. Uh, oh, I've trimmed my list of 19 schools. Right. You haven't trimmed like, Jack, man. It's like when I have a grocery list when I go to the grocery store. I'm prioritizing getting those things. But, but when I'm walking through the powdered the donuts. Aisle, yeah, exactly. How am I not going to get egg, those, right? Yep. Yeah. 100%. Boom. Uh, so anyway, well, we'll see if Kansas can be the powdered donuts <laughs> in this little analogy. But these are the schools you put up there. Alabama, Arkansas, Louisville, Ole Miss, Florida, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech. Notably not on that list is Kansas. And okay. I sort of get it. There's 1,300 players on the transfer portal. I'm yes. pretty confident Arkansas has talked to every single one of them. Every list. That is probably a fact. Every We're single player. We're going to do a lie detector test. That would not be a lie. Every single yeah, player has five. been Arkansas. contacted in some way or another. What is Eric Musselman doing? Um, only contacting the portal. I don't think he has time for anything else in his life. I don't think. I don't think his family has seen him for weeks. <laughs> He's just like constantly texting a bunch of nineteen-year-olds. Maybe, maybe you should just build a just build a bunker and have it be like the transfer portal, <laughs> transfer bunker. portal bunker. I love that. You go inside, you seal yourself up, yeah. and you don't come out until you've got a team. Yeah, there's just like cans of soup in there and beans yeah. and stuff. You or to, like yeah. you call in an airdrop from the rest of your staff. They <laughs> they fly in and drop off. You know, like care packages and stuff yes, for you to have. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. See that that's where Eric Musselman's at right now. <laughs> um but yeah, anyway, so Kansas not on that list. This is a guy that I've found very interesting. And the more that I've done research and digging into this guy, the more I come away impressed. Now, I understand if I, I don't know what his intention of transferring is. Uh, obviously their coach left to go to Texas Tech. Seems likely that he would just follow his coach. That's very possible. Could be the coaching thing, could be looking for bigger opportunity, could be looking for um more opportunity maybe playing as a point guard because this past season North Texas was the team that won the NIT. They actually finished the year um ranked 31st in Ken Palm. Wow. Which that's pretty incredible for that, is, that program yeah. Yeah. out of the Conference USA. And we, we know that the Conference USA was actually like pretty good this year when you had FAU and yep. UAB Charlotte was in the title game against North Texas. Yeah, Charlotte. Didn't they win the CBI Uh, or something like that? Yeah, there was another team that was in the NIT that made a deep run. I don't remember who. But with Perry, he was not the point guard this season. That was Kai Huntsbury. And I don't know if Perry's transferring. He wants to be the point guard at another school. He's only like five foot eleven. So if he wants to be the point guard, that's obviously a no go for KU. Only five foot eleven, bro. Put some respect on. Okay, I I mean from a basketball standpoint. No, I mean people of the world. You know, from an everyday standpoint, that's actually you're above average in height. Like congratulations. But from a basketball standpoint, you are on the smaller end. And I I look at this kid and I'm like, well, I don't know how about the fit. Like, he did play off ball last year, so he could obviously play off ball next to Dewan. Does he want to be a point guard? Does he not? Is only being 5'11", which that's what he's listed at. We know colleges sometimes fib. He might be 5'9", 5'10". I don't know. (laughs) Um, Does that work next to Dewan Harris? Here's why I don't really care, and I think it would. 94th percentile on synergy in his defensive rating. I don't okay. know what goes into that. Well, so again, you're circling back to: Do you want KU to just win games forty to thirty-eight? Ah, but no. See, that's 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 what's interesting here. He is actually <laughs> a really good offensive player, like really good offensive player. It's just that the big question there would be: If you're bringing on a five-eleven guard, can he defend? Yes. North Texas is a team this season finished 18th in the country in defense. Okay, so what about the offense? Okay. Well, this is why I really want him. the The defensive 
side that I just mentioned is more about like the counter to people saying, oh, well, he's too small. This season, he averaged 17.3 points per game. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. That gets a little better when I tell you that North Texas was 363rd in the country in tempo. Wait, really? Yes. And he scored 17 a game? Yes. That's pretty impressive, Dude, right? That's like a that's like taking a nap tempo. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's very slow. Yeah. I mean, what what is Virginia? Virginia is always like clown for their tempo. They're three sixty. Oh, so I mean, technically they're even slow. I mean, well, not technically what they about, are. What's what was St. Mary's? Um, let's see. St. Mary's. St. Mary's was three fifty nine. Wow, faster than St. Mary's. That's or slower. Well, no, they're three sixty three. They're the slowest yeah, team in the country. Oh yeah, I they're literally true. the slowest team in the country. Yeah, and honestly, like it's. They're, they averaged 59.1 possessions per game. St. Mary's was at 61.6. Wow. Which is like the difference between... Okay. I mean, that two and a half difference. They, Kansas they were, was 75th. Uh, Grant McCaslin was their coach, right? Yeah. Okay. Do not come to KU. Yes, correct. It would be a boring style of play. But yes. he's going to be perfect for I Texas. I don't care. Time. Don't go to KU. So nonetheless, um, Tyler Perry averaged that in that little of, of amount of whatever. Um, he shot 41% from three for the second straight season. Okay. He still has, he's listed as a senior. I think he was previously at a JUCO, so I think he only has one year left to play. He also shot 87% on free throws, 83 the year before. So, I mean, by all accounts, okay. a great shooter. Yep. If you want to look at the synergy numbers, which I do, here are the synergy numbers. As a um, spot-up shooter, really, really good. Isolation shooter, really, really good. Off screens, really, really good. Pick-and-roll ball handler, good. Handoffs, good. Like, I I see everything about this guy, and I'm like, oh my gosh, he would be the perfect fit next to Dewan Harris. <laughs> but what if he doesn't want to play two guard? That's the problem. And I also don't know how much, again, like this might be a thing for KU where they're like, well, we have a Marco Jackson coming in. He's five foot eleven. It seems like the guards to me that they're looking at. Because think about it. We haven't heard a lot about KU talking to like Max A. Smith. We didn't Another hear a smaller guy. Right. We, we, I don't know, we briefly heard the LJ Cryer thing, but it seemed like that was weird. Like, he scheduled a visit, and then the next day he committed to Houston before he yeah. even visited any of the schools. Like, I don't know how real yeah. any of that stuff was. It seems like the guards that KU is in on, Nick Timberlake, Primo Spears, are guards that you could convince yourself could be backups. Yes. Or could be guys that only play 15, 20, 25 minutes a game. And with Tyler Perry, there might be an expectation there where he's like, I'm a 30, 35-minute-per-game guy. And maybe that's what the holdup is there. But everything else, I'm like, yes, please. And yet, he is, KU is not on his list. Nope. So, But, I mean, do, what do lists even mean? Are lists, do lists even matter? No, who, not really. Who, who, Just who a piece of paper. Who decided or a tweet. that lists Names are the end-all, be-all of how this stuff works? If I was a, uh, a recruit, I would just try to mess with people, and people would probably hate me. I'd be a very hated player for doing this. Um like I would, would I would tell do, the would coach. Would you just put random stuff on your list? Well, yeah, exactly. Like I would tell the coaches that I was in on. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't want to upset <laughs> them. That would be a problem because then they could like pull your scholarship or something. But like I'd be, let's say like Kansas, I, I was going to go to Kansas or something. I'd, I'd be like, tonight I'm announcing. I put like a finalist list and it'd be like North Texas, like Missouri, just to mess with them. <laughs> and then like somebody else. And then I'd pick Kansas and they'd be like, what? what's even the point of lists? And I'd be like, exactly. Exactly. No, I'm, I, I, I hundred percent. Coming Now, I think, I, I think the solution here is you just don't do, you just don't put out lists. Yeah, no lists allowed. Yes, like that. That's what I say. 
Like, like Kate I still Cedric. like my bachelor idea where they like give roses to the schools. No, that's stupid. And slowly eliminate it one by one. No, that's literally the dumbest. Week. That's literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. And I've heard a lot of dumb things, and I've said a lot of dumb things. And that's that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It. I, it'd be my favorite player in college basketball. Um, <laughs> just like a twenty-six week, their senior year of high school, just like slow, like whittle down of yeah, everything. But people, okay. The thing, the problem with that is people would stop caring. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe you'd have to do it instead of once a like, week. You can't do, you do it, it once a day. Yeah, you'd have to do it like it'd have to be much like quicker. Ten schools because people right? would realize like this is stupid. Yeah, because yeah, it is it, stupid. you're right. You couldn't do like twenty five schools every week. You'd have to do like eight schools over eight days or yes, something like. It would that. have to be a lot quicker. Yeah, because yeah. people would just you're lose right. interest unless you were like unless you were like LeBron James <laughs> coming out of high school. Then everybody, yeah. Then at that point, do like a top one hundred. That would be actually <laughs> really funny. Yeah, that's what Bronny James should do. No. No, all these ideas are bad ideas, <laughs> and they're somehow getting worse. Well, they should they, they should actually rank them so that the schools can forever be like, like. It, oh, okay, I'm on board with that. Yeah, they they rank if them it so was the like, school forever exactly, in the future like, can if, be like, man, we were number two a, for Derek yes, Rose. Oh, I love like, that. Could idea. you imagine if you're the number one you know? recruit? Yeah, you just say like, oh, I'm committing here, yeah, but my this is place. my top three. So then the other yes, so then fans yes. could be like, oh, dude, we would have been the best team. But we were number right, two. Right. So, the, But like, then you know. They're like, man, we were number two on four top ten recruits. Like, we had the near best yes, class of yes. all time. We had the almost best team. Because that's that's half of, you know, our job here at Sports Talk Radio. That's half of, <laughs> that's half of you know, fans' jobs. They, oh, they yeah. talk hypotheticals. They talk the what-ifs. Oh, yeah. That would that's make it so much better. That's where the transfer portal has made, exactly. has actually been better. Because somebody enters the transfer portal and fans immediately are like, dude, could you imagine this guy on our team? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like they have have no chance of ever doing that. Uh, A couple other quick notes just to mention. Villanova adding a GM position. That's interesting to see if more schools do that. And Baylor Shireman back to uh, Creighton. So register for RCST Trivia right now at RCST1320 or email RCST1320AM at gmail.com. Hit us up with the code word trivia. Right now, some prizes we have. Gift cards to Johnny's Tavern. Gift cards to 23rd Street Brewery. We got t-shirts and hats from River at Print and Skate. We've got um, mini basketball jerseys for KU. We've got uh, trophies that we're going to be giving away. Tumblers, home field apparel shirts, plenty other stuff. Hit us up at RCST 1320 with Trivia. We'll get you registered for RCST Trivia next week. Free to enter. This is RCST. Two hours down, one to go. KLWN. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Five o'clock hour. We uh, will head over to High School Sports Weekly at Burgers by Biggs from La Carusa and Bob Billings from 6 to 7 here on KLWN. Tomorrow, I'm not really going to be here. We do have a couple segments that I'll be uh, in, but uh, for the most part, it'll be Nick taking you home off some audio and uh, some other good stuff to finish out the week here on RCST. Next week, the plan is to start RCST Trivia, so don't forget, uh, we just... Talked about the how you can uh, register again. Just hit us up some way, either rcst1320am at gmail.com or on our Twitter account at rcst1320. You can DM us. You can reply to us. You can tweet at us with just the word trivia, and we'll get you signed up and everything and, and good to go for uh, RCST trivia. We're going to have some really cool prizes coming up for the event. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, just definitely join. It's fun. <laughs> it's free. So do it. Join. Do it. All right. uh, We got another edition of Lie Detector Test. Let's get into it right now. First up, Rudy Gobert, which, by the way, is that a lie? Is his name? Should it be Gobert? Gobert? Yeah, Gobert. Okay. I kind of hate French. I kind of hate Gobert, actually. (laughs) Gobert. Sounds like Gogurt. Yeah. Rudy Gogurt. (laughs) 
actually no, dude, love that's that. a great. I actually dude, love then that. you just sign a deal with Gogurt, and you're like the Gogurt spokesperson. Well, a lot of people like don't love Rudy Gobert, and like, I don't know. If you rebrand to your last name being Gogurt, nobody could, dislikes exactly. You. How nobody could people not you. like you yeah. at that point? Uh, so anyway, um, if you missed it at the end of the regular season, Rudy Gobert was punched by Kyle Anderson, but this came. Literally just a day before that happened. This was a quote given to uh, Christopher Hine, who um, he was working on a piece about Kyle Anderson's leadership. And Rudy Gobert said, quote, Kyle wants to win. And sometimes he's a little aggressive in the way he talks, but I don't take it personally. I receive it in a positive way because it comes from a place of wanting me to be the best Rudy I can be and wanting us to win. I love his competitiveness. Love the way he plays the game, the way he makes others around him better. He's been a huge part of this year. Next day, he punched him. So like this, this isn't even lie detector test, right? This is just lie. Right? I mean, clearly, I don't take it personally. Yes, you do. You punched him. Yeah, I don't really know what more would be the epitome of taking something personally than literally punching. <laughs> yes. Like, like, is there is there any way you could show, like, I'm taking this more personally, <laughs> other than literally punching the guy? No, I don't think so. So this is this is obviously, obviously there is some lie. Here. Yeah. Either. Okay. What if it's possible? I'm trying to think. Because okay, the issue here is like. There's a punch. There's no way for a punch to be a lie. Right. Like if you punch a guy, you, you punch. I him. think it's the quote that's the lie. That's what I'm saying. But yeah. I was trying to. I was trying to find a punch way around. Truth. Like maybe the quote was the truth, but then what happened when he punched punch him was the lie. lie. He didn't mean to punch him. <laughs> he was like, "Hey, give me that Gatorade bottle over." The- oh no, I didn't mean to hit you. I was trying to grab the. No. Yeah, that's that's clearly a lie. All right, how about this one from Chris Jones? He tweeted this out. I'm going to win MVP. I want this to be the truth really badly, actually. I mean... Is he switching to quarterback? Is there a QB controversy? Because maybe. last I checked, only quarterbacks How would MVP. How good would Chris Jones be as a quarterback, by the way? Not. Not Are good. you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Nobody would be I able mean, to tackle him. What are we talking about? Are, are we putting him in Dude, the high school? Chris then, yeah, Jones sure. Nobody's rolling tackling out him. to the right. Who's going to tackle him? Everyone. How? Because they're not going to... Because he's going to not pass... So they're just going to send eight guys at him, and they're going to bring him down. If you bring eight guys, he could pass. He could complete a pass, I think. All right. Either way, you know, he's not <laughs> playing good quarterback. Uh, for him to win MVP as a defensive player. how many? I think we had this discussion earlier in the offseason. How many yeah. sacks would he have to get? <laughs> okay. Like, you see, like see, if here's he the got 30 sacks. Here's the problem. If he gets 30 sacks... The Chiefs at that point are going like fifteen and two, right? Yeah, I, I don't know, maybe even better. Who knows? <laughs> and if they go fifteen and two, it's going to be like, oh, Patrick Mahomes, he's really good. Let's give it to him. You know, thirty sacks—that's not enough. I know. I guess yeah, thirty would be enough. Because yeah, at that point, would like twenty-five be enough? I was I was thinking twenty-five. Twenty-five would be the border. Because that's like twenty-five with like I don't know eight forced fumbles, some like fumble recovery, two fumble recover touchdowns, a touch, yeah, maybe a an interception in pick six on a screen pass. Put him in at fullback, and he gets and a couple he, touchdowns. Let him run a couple yeah, touchdowns. Yeah, at that point, I think you get it. At that point, you'd be breaking the sack record by a couple sacks, I believe, yeah, doing like so many other things. The Chiefs would also have to have a top ten defense at that point. Which, if he has that many sacks, they're going to right. Maybe I would think. Would I mean, think. if he has that good of stats, like it's hard <laughs> not to at that point. Um, so yeah, I, it's 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 possible, it's but it's possible. very low. It's very low. It's possible. So I, I this isn't a lie by yeah, him. This, this is, is just self motivation. Yeah, this is the classic case know, of he believes it's a it, lie, sure. but the person who said it believes thinks it. it's the truth. Yes, or believes it. for sure. Yes. 
All right, uh, this uh, uh, from ESPN on Jeff Bezos. They said Jeff Bezos is not going to bid on the Washington Commanders. The source close to him said Wednesday. Do you believe that Jeff Bezos is not going to well, bid on the That ended up being the truth because earlier today they have finalized an Mm. A, de- a deal to sell to some other group. I'm still not completely certain that Jeff Bezos doesn't come in and be like, "Well, here's double that. Here's all my Amazon money." Yeah, I guess I'm just. It. I guess no. I'm I don't. Just, I don't think this is a lot. I'm just confused. Like, if you're Jeff Bezos, why wouldn't you want to buy it? In right. What else are you doing with your money? You exactly. have so much money. But, that- and like, dude, do you think the NFL owners have any sort of responsibility to do literally anything? <laughs> no, they just sit there and make money. Yeah. Which is what you do already. Yeah. But you can do more of it with Prince by owning money. a team. Okay, this one, uh, Russell Westbrook on playing a series against Kevin Durant. Russell Westbrook is now with the Clippers. They are playing the Phoenix Suns, so it's Russell Westbrook versus Kevin Durant, which, as you remember, there was bad blood there when Kevin Durant left. Uh, This is what Russell Westbrook said. Quote, it will be normal for me. I think people still think like there's some beef or something. There's no beef of any kind. So I think that's the good narrative for media for people to talk about. Russ, where's the beef? (laughs) Is he a Wendy's spokesman? This man's on the chicken-only diet. Dude, this is a lie to me. I think there is. You think it's a lie? I think there's bad blood there. Okay. Normally with this kind of stuff, where there's smoke, there's probably some fire. Mm -hmm. But in this case, all the smoke is coming from literally everyone except for Russ or KD. Right? So that leads me to believe that maybe there's some truth to this. Okay. I mean, it's been been like, what, five, six, seven years now? Sure. So, like, if, if there was ever any beef, there should no longer be beef. No, I do think I th- see. I think this, this part should be true. a vegetarian only <laughs> situation. I think when he says it will be normal for me, I think it is because I think he just plays in general. He like, does play off. with a chip on. His I don't shoulder, think it really matters. Yeah, I don't um, think he's viewing it any differently. But I, I disagree. I think there probably is. Well, maybe maybe that's the thing. Maybe what would, what maybe it, it is truthful in him saying there's not beef because I think there's a difference between beef and not liking each other. Right? Yes, I would agree with that. You and, can, and yeah, you can just be. You can just be somebody like, man, you know, that guy, I don't really like right. him, But it's not like it's like, it's oh, we got like, beef. I got beef because he, I don't know, cut me off or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, there's a difference there. So maybe they have forgiven the beef. The beef was he left. Maybe yes. that's been forgiven. Because Russell Westbrook's that been on, six, what, seven five years ago. teams in yeah, and five Russ years or whatever. It's been all over the country. Exactly. So maybe that's been forgiven. I don't think they like each other, though. No, maybe I mean, it's not they're probably not going to have a smiley, friendly no. conversation. Like, you think they're going to exchange jerseys after the series? Probably not, no. no. But they might, you know, like shake hands and be like, hey, you know, good luck out there. Something like that, right? I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. That's fine. But, like, listen, I'm just not the type of guy that holds a, that holds a grudge for that long. Like, you might suck, and I'll be like, dude, this guy sucks. I like, envision Russell Westbrook a while, being that guy. I don't you think know he's why. that guy? Yeah, dude. For he like seven years. There's six media years? people that he like hates and uh, from seven years ago with the Thunder. <laughs> so I don't think that's that crazy with Kevin Durant. Okay. Okay. Uh, this one, Phillies pitcher Matt Strom on the MLB extending beer sales into the eighth inning with shorter games. It says, "quote The reason we stopped selling alcohol in the seventh before was to give our fans time to sober up and drive home safe. Correct. So now with a faster paced game, and we might just, uh, and me just being a man of common sense, if the game is going to finish quicker." Would we not move the beer sales back to the sixth inning to give our fans time to sober up and drive home? Instead, we're going to the eighth, and now you're putting our fans and family at risk driving home with people who have just drank beers 22 minutes ago. Okay, I love this for a lot of different reasons. Number one, when that was initially announced that they were going to extend that, I think the overwhelming reaction was like extremely positive. Yeah. Like, woo, yeah, more alcohol, yeah, more beer. 
But this actually makes a ton of sense. I hadn't thought about this yes, at all. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it at all either. Like, I don't this think is, this is a lie. This is true. No, I think this is all truth, and I think it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, yeah, to a certain point, like, you are, you know, when you've got 25,000 people all together in one spot, and a good majority of them are going to be drinking some beers throughout the game, and you let them continue to drink until, you know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes before the end of the game... Yeah, that that could pose some safety risks. I think this. I thought I thought this was very insightful. When I saw this, I was like, "Wow, that's really eye opening." Like, I don't think most people really considered it from this angle, you know. And I think maybe the counter argument to it be the counter argument to it would be like, "Oh, well, you know, if you have like a downtown stadium, it's probably fine, anyways. Like people or whatever, right?" But like, think about like the Royals. Like, you're not getting to Coppin Stadium unless you drive there. Yeah. And then if you're having people Can't get trying a ride to, share exactly, and then if you have people trying to you know drive afterwards, like. Yeah, I think that I think that easily could cause a, a safety risk, and and it I think when you look at it from this light, it does seem like oh well you know it's all about profits and stuff. Which like this is one of those things where everybody knows that like the real underlying reason for doing something like this is like just profits, just straight cash. Mm-hmm. But everyone just kind of ignores that, and it's like oh yeah, we get to drink more. Woo yeah. So it's like. But, you know, you had that underlying theme of, like, it's just all about the money. And I, I don't know, like, maybe if there is, uh, you know, an increase in accidents around stadiums after games or people getting hurt, like, the MLB might have to really seriously reconsider something like this. Yeah, I think that's well put. All right, uh, that is Lie Detector Test with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST. We got some KU track and field audio next on KLWN. Depend on it. Thanks for listening to the Best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN and Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.